Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we do pray that you would send your spirit now to come and put strength in our stride. Give us grace for our hurdles. Help us to run with faith, to win the prize of a servant good and faithful, God. Lord, as we come to your word, would you speak to us and change us into the image of your Son. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may have a seat. I love food. It's feeling this way, but there's no denying it now. I Who doesn't? Yeah, right. <laughs> Can't remember always feeling this way, but there's no denying it now. I love food. The ways that people have taken God's creation of plants and meat and, and dairy and herbs and spices and just mixed and matched and, and blended and combined and cooked and baked food is, just, is phenomenally mouth-watering. There is a numberless list of culinary sensations. I personally love breakfast food and lunch food and dinner food <laughs> and snack food and dessert. I love Mexican and Italian and Chinese and Middle Eastern food, food from all over the world. That doesn't mean that I love every single kind of food. I can be a picky eater at times, but there are many, many tastes that I enjoy, from bacon to burgers, from donuts to dumplings, from eggs to enchiladas, Lucky Charms to lasagna, pizza to patin to pancit to soup to salads, to steaks, from shrimp, to shawarma. <laughs> I like going out to eat. I like staying in to eat, especially since I have a wife who loves to cook amazing meals. It's like I'm in a, a kid's book. I will eat it here or there. I will eat it anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> now, I recognize that it can be a cruel thing to talk about food without actually feeding you. <laughs> But too bad, <laughs> because Jesus is going to talk about food today, or rather, going without it. Now, it's not wrong to eat or enjoy food. One of God's very first instructions to people on earth was to have them look around at the world that he had created, and all that he had made, and, said, and God said, you shall have them for food. In 1 Timothy 4.3, it says that God created all kinds of food to be received with thanksgiving. So the appetite for food is not wrong. But the appetite for food must be controlled. Because like all good things in this world, we can start to love it too much. To the point that it becomes an idol that we love more than we love God. Which is one of the reasons that the spiritual discipline of fasting is actually so vital to our faith. Because it is one way to keep the gift of food subordinate and subservient to God. Fasting, of course, is the voluntarily, voluntarily going without food for a period of time for a purpose. One definition of fasting is abstinence from food for spiritual purposes. What are these purposes? Like what, why would we ever deprive ourselves of a thing as wonderful as food? Well, we're going to come back to that question, 
But the answer, the short answer, is that fasting helps us focus. It draws our attention to God, enhancing our prayer life and our communion with Him. As Joe Rigney describes it, fasting provides a particularly potent way of focusing our attention on the triune God whose love is better than food. However, there may not be a more neglected spiritual discipline these days than fasting. That may be because food is such an idol in our culture and in our lives. That may just be because we are lazy and undisciplined. It may be that we have no desire to go without, especially when we don't need to. I mean, when was the last time we fasted? When was, at least intentionally, right? But when we ignore fasting, we we deprive ourselves of a practice that can be very powerful. As David Mathis says, our problem might be how we think of fasting. If the accent is on abstinence and fasting is some mere duty to perform, then only the most iron-willed among us will get over the social and self-pampering hurdles to actually put this discipline into practice. But if we are awakened to see fasting for the joy it can bring as a means of God's grace to strengthen and sharpen Godward affections, then we might find ourselves holding a powerful new tool for enriching our enjoyment of Jesus. Let's turn together in our Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew 6, where I have basically been preaching the same sermon for three straight weeks now. It's all basically had the same main point with just different applications. In, in Matthew 6, Jesus discusses the secret righteousness of the heart that should describe every believer. Righteous living that should work itself out outwardly in our lives, yet a righteousness that is not outwardly motivated or overly public. Jesus says this at the very beginning, verse 1. <coughs> excuse me. He says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Really, the, the main point we saw here that is the main point for the full, the, both of the first two weeks. It remains the same for one more week. I'm going to throw it up there again. Righteous living should not be motivated by public recognition at the risk of being pointless. Right? We saw this already, but righteous living should not be motivated by public recognition at the to the needy. Point, right? And giving to the needy is a good deed that is by nature focused on other people around us. The second form of secret righteousness he describes was prayer, which we saw last week. Prayer, of course, is something that should be focused directly on God. Today, he gives one more example of this covert righteousness in fasting. And fasting is a self-discipline that is especially focused on ourselves and our bodies. So of the three examples he gives, one looks out to others, one looks up to God, and one looks inward to ourselves. And thus Jesus addresses all three spheres of life as human beings, God, others, and self. And each one of these is an area which we are told we have an opportunity to practice righteousness. But... If we go into any of these things with the wrong motives, Jesus says it ruins them. All the good things we might do would be emptied of value. Serving in ministry, sharing your faith, praying, reading the Bible, 
giving, what have you. Our hearts should want to glorify God in these. Their purpose is to please God. So, to do them for anyone else's praise misses the point entirely. Not to mention that it disqualifies us from rewards that Jesus says we would have received from the Lord. So, Jesus wants us to check our hearts. Right? To, to evaluate why we are doing the things that we do. What do we love? What are our deepest desires? What are our core motives? Because our hearts, the, the spiritual center of our beings, matter more than anything else. The Bible describes the heart in one place as the wellspring of life. And so like a, a river flowing from a mountain spring. Our, everything in our life flows from our hearts. And if the source is polluted, then everything that flows from that will be polluted as well. This is why it's so crucial that we let Jesus actually do some heart work on us to expose how deep sin runs in us so, he can, so we can repent and he can purify us and purify our motives. On the topic of the day, our total negligence of fasting can expose a host of heart issues. Self-centeredness, self-sufficiency, laziness, addiction, gluttony, idolatry, pride. And in our arrogance, we can tend to even look at the Bible and pick and choose which passages mean more to us, which, which ones are more important. Right? Almost like some things don't exist in here. We, we definitely do talk about giving a lot. We talk about praying a lot, but we can tend to overlook fasting. But it's right there. Some of us may think, you know, I can let go of my money. I can, I can pray, but I can't fast. That's too hard. Essentially, what you're saying is that you can touch my money or my time, but don't touch my food. Doesn't that sound silly? So if we haven't fasted, or we don't fast, or we don't even want to fast, let's confess that today. Let's take it to the Lord. Ask for God's forgiveness for, for falling short in another area of our lives. This is a, a basic form of righteousness that we've ignored. Let's cast ourselves on the grace of God today and ask him, to change us, thanking God that, that Jesus died and rose again so we can be made right before God and so we can receive his perfect righteousness when ours always falls short. And then, let's come to this passage with an open mind and an open heart. If you do not yet consider yourself a follower of Jesus, this passage was not addressed to you. It's meant to teach Christians one way to live out their faith as Christians. It's not just moral advice. Fasting will bring no value to you outside maybe of a lousy diet plan. You can do all the good moral stuff in the world and still fall short of God's standard. Because your heart is deeply polluted as well. And you don't need just to, to change your behavior. You need to, a, a change of heart. You need a new heart, which the Spirit gives. But if the good news is that if, the, if you come to Jesus today, trusting in him to save you from yourself, to save you from your sin, he will, is going to...
don't think that just doing good things is going to, like giving or like fasting is just going gonna, make, gonna to make God happy with you. The Bible says, without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. The only Jesus' death makes God happy towards sinners. And only faith in Jesus allows us to now live lives that actually please God. So I'd, I'd urge, if you haven't before, come to Jesus today and find that mercy and grace available to you. And if you have, remember that the gospel, the good news of Jesus, comes first for all of us. That Jesus is not just laying down a new law or setting up a new rule for us to follow. In the gospel, he shows us his limitless grace, and then we follow him because we love him. It's not that we do this because we have to. We do it because we want to now. Because he's changed our hearts. So don't leave here today thinking, Ah, I have to fast now. (laughs) What a burden. If you think that way, you will have completely missed the point. I I hope you leave here thinking, I love Jesus And I want to love Jesus more. And this is a way that I can love Jesus more. Why wouldn't I do this? A world of difference between those two approaches. Look with me at verse 16. Jesus says, and when you fast, and when you fast, so this is another when, not an if you fast. Jesus clearly assumes we will fast. At times, we Protestants have downplayed fasting, thinking of it as a a Jewish thing or an Old Testament thing or a Roman Catholic thing or maybe even a, a Muslim thing. But fasting is a very biblical thing to do. Jesus fasted. The early church fasted. The Bible tells us that. So did major biblical characters like Moses and David Nehemiah, Esther, and Daniel. Tim Challies comments that while Jesus did not command fasting, certainly he commended and demonstrated it. At the very least, if Jesus felt it necessary to fast, it seems unlikely that we are meant to avoid it altogether. But here in Matthew 6, he says that there is a, a wrong way to do a very, this very right thing. And when you fast, look again, When you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. So much like with giving and praying, fasting can turn into a way that we show off. And to to show how devoted we are, how religious or pious or good we are as people. Now notice... The only danger to fasting that Jesus points out isn't a physical danger, but a spiritual one. Even though this is a very physical practice. And he doesn't say, you know, when you fast, make sure you're drinking enough water. Stay hydrated. Or don't push yourself too far. Don't try to go too long. Don't don't do a lot of exercise when you fast. No, he doesn't say that, does he? He says, make sure your heart 
is in the right place. That your motives are pure. See, again, righteous living should not be motivated by public recognition at the risk of being pointless. And for one more example, fasting should not be done to be seen by others. Fasting should never be done as a show in order to be seen by other people. Some people in Jesus' day apparently would fast, but then they'd play up their discomfort in doing so. They, they wanted to make sure that other people noticed their, their misery, their hunger. But after all, it would be, it'd be terrible if they voluntarily went through all this pain and nobody noticed. But they were really only acting, right? hence the term of hypocrites. They were they're putting on a mask, playing a part, now, it's not that they weren't hungry or miserable. They, marry, they, they very well may have been. So it wouldn't have been hypocritical for them to appear that way. But that wasn't their motive. That wasn't their heart motive here, their main desire. They didn't want to look miserable for the sake of getting pity. They wanted to look miserable in order to impress people with their piety. They, they wanted to be seen as especially good and moral and righteous people. But the fact was, with these corrupt, prideful motives, their hearts weren't righteous at all. And that's why it was hypocritical to show off their hunger as if it were righteous. When you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. You might imagine someone today walking around acting all gloomy, like Eeyore and Winnie the Pooh, moping and grumpy, downcast, disheveled maybe. So, so maybe their friends try to cheer them up. Hey, you want to go out to lunch with us? And they grimace. Oh, I'd love to. But see, I'm fasting today. What Jesus meant by disfiguring their faces likely meant neglecting physical hygiene. So uh, covering their, maybe covering their heads with sackcloth as well, maybe smearing their faces with ash in order to make themselves look pale, sickly, and outstandingly holy. Martin Lloyd-Jones describes the reactions they must have been going for, saying, they, so they looked miserable and unhappy, and everybody looked at them and said, ah, he's undergoing a period of fasting. He is an unusually spiritual person. Look at him. Look at what he's sacrificing and suffering for the sake of his devotion to God. But anything that we do in order to show ourselves off as more holy than we actually are is hypocrisy. And this applies to far more than just fasting. Far more than just giving and praying, too. Anything we do. If we, if we dress a certain way, if we carry around our Bible a certain way or a book, Right? or serve in a certain ministry, sing especially loudly at church, raise our hands in worship, raise our children a certain way, memorize verses in Sunday school in order to impress people. 
when we've gone off base. Right? These are all good things. But if we do them in order to impress people, that's the issue. God is not impressed with our shows. I mean, some people may be. But what's the point of that? What, what good is that going to do you in the long run? John Piper warns, the danger of hypocrisy is that it is so successful. It aims at the praise of men, and it succeeds. But that's all. Now, some of us look at this verse, and we may we think, you know, we don't have a hard time obeying this verse to not look gloomy when you fast, because we don't fast. Right? But if you do fast... Or if you want to make a new godly habit of fasting, this is a good warning, right? By nature, fasting can be invisible. It might be audible at times if our stomach growls, but it's not automatically visible. Like any one of you, I don't see any of you eating right now. Any one of you could be fasting right now, and I wouldn't know. But it's our human nature to want to be noticed and seen as good people. So we'd prefer that this invisible righteousness were to be visible. And since fasting is so rare today, and thus would be so out of the ordinary, it would be even more tempting to show it off. Right? It put you on an extra special level of spirituality. Nobody else is doing this. Stand out. Be tempting to act melancholy, malnourished, even hangry. It may be tempting to, to post something on Facebook or Instagram just to subtly let people know what's going on in your life. By the way, this would apply to any kind of fast, not just from food. For instance, it's become popular for people to announce what they're fasting from for Lent. Now, whether or not you should observe Lent is a question for another day. But what I do know is that if you do observe it, it's easy to do so to show off, to look better than you are. So I saw a very humorous headline from the Babylon Bee recently that said, Confirmed, Facebook fasts only count if you loudly announce them in advance. <laughs> now that raises the side question, should we fast from things other than food? And I would say that it, it can definitely be beneficial to do so. Abstaining from anything that would help us remove distractions and focus on God would be a, a good thing. And that could be from social media or screens or TV or video games or books or all kinds of things. It, it, these, it helps us remove our ties to these things. It helps us focus on the Lord. However, there's a reason that fasting from food shouldn't be replaced by these kinds of fasts, but rather supplemented by them. Tim Challies explains that biblically we are to fast from food for this simple reason. Food is something we need, not merely something we want. You may want to use Facebook, but you need to eat food. Thus, in fasting, you are withholding from yourself something you need, food, in order to pursue something you need even more, communion with God. So, if fasting shouldn't be done to be seen by others, what's the right way to do it? Jesus tells us. Look at verse 17. He says this. 
But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. The big idea I think we're going to see here is this. Fast by God. Be done to be seen and rewarded by God. We should fast for the sake of being seen and rewarded by God and God alone. To, to fast in secret isn't actually the point here. Right? There are proper public fasts in Scripture. Fasting for the right motives is the point. And instead of disfiguring our appearance to show off our fasting, Jesus says, when you fast, anoint your head, wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. Now, this doesn't actually mean to go out of your way to hide your fasting. Anointing your head just referred to cleaning your hair, washing your hair, and, and washing your face was a normal everyday activity. It'd be like telling you today, take a shower, brush your hair, brush your teeth, Go about your business as usual. Act normal. It, it should be inconspicuous. You don't need to draw any attention to yourself because the only person who matters sees. The only person who matters sees you. It says, so that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your father, who sees in secret, will reward you. Your father, we saw this last week, the importance of seeing God as our, our father in heaven, our, our truest father, our most loving father, our perfect father, is watching us. He sees. John Piper says, fast with a clear intention of being seen by God. And Jesus teaches, as Jesus teaches, that fasting is an intensely Godward act. Do it toward God who sees when others don't. God may be in secret, as Jesus says here, invisible to our eyes, but we are not invisible to his eyes. It's like a, a young dad cheering on his toddler as they take their first steps. Right? God sees our faltering, humble steps to try to love him. And he loves it loves it. And one day it'll all be worth it. And God will reward us. It says, and your father who sees in sacred will guaranteed will reward you. And I didn't saying that we earn some special merit from God for doing good stuff. God doesn't need to reward us. Right? He, he just delights to reward us in his grace. Like we wonder, well, what are the rewards that he's going to give for fasting? Is it really going to be worth it? And this goes back to the purpose of fasting in the first place. And we may be unconvinced as to why we should fast at all. But the benefits are plenty, both now and in eternity. Let me, I'm going to just going to list some of these benefits out, see if I can convince you. All right? Why should we fast? First, Fasting adds focus and emphasis to our prayers. It is a prayer amplifier, so to speak. It, it both helps us focus our attention on prayer, and it shows how serious we are about it. Fasting 
and prayer go together like running a race goes with sweating. You run, you're going to sweat. You fast, you're going to pray. They go together. It just happens. And in an age of endless distractions everywhere, fasting may be more important and more relevant than ever before. Many of us have prayers that we pray that we are desperate for God to answer. We have have bad or sinful habits in our lives that we want conquered once and for all. We have pain and illnesses and suffering that we, we want to see relieved. We have wayward sons and daughters we, we desperately want to see come back to the Lord. We have so many lost people around us who, who need Christ before they perish. We have a, a church that we want to see flourishing at making disciples for years to come. We have a, a city and a country that is very dark and desperately needs revival. And if we really, truly desire these things, if we, are, if we are serious about them, we want them, then maybe it's time to add some fasting to our praying. Second benefit, fasting reveals our hearts. Reveals our hearts. That might not sound like a, a good thing at first, but it is. Richard Foster says, more than any other discipline, fasting reveals the things that control us. This is a wonderful benefit to the true disciple who longs to be transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. We cover up what's inside of us with food and other things. So if you want to be like Jesus, our hearts need uncovered so he can change them. So it's a good thing that it reveals our hearts. Next, Fasting is a way to humble ourselves. One of the most express repentance. It's a way to humble ourselves and express repentance. This is one of the most frequent reasons that people fasted in the Bible. Nehemiah led the people of Israel in doing this. Daniel fasted as part of a corporate confession. The Ninevites did this when Jonah got spit out of the fish and went and preached to them. They fasted. The Apostle Paul did this at his conversion. And when people realized that, that they had sinned against the Lord, one of their first instincts was to fast, along with prayer and confessing their sins. Now, this does not mean that we fast as a form of penance, as if we can make things right with God ourselves. Now, this just is an expression of what's going on in our hearts, the, the contrition inside us, that we're sorry. Jesus says in this very same sermon, Blessed, blessed are those who mourn over their sin, for they shall be comforted. Blessed, it's a good thing to do this. Next, fasting increases self-control of our appetites. Helps us crucify our flesh. I know that many of us wish we had better control of ourselves in many areas of life. Right? Not just eating. All over the place we wish we had more self-control. 
self-disciplining our bodies, not punishing them, but, but bringing them into submission, making them obey us, is one way that we cultivate growth in self-control. It's a thing that the Spirit uses to grow self-control in us. Next, fasting helps us deny selfishness and become generous. Once we're not so consumed with fulfilling our own desires, it helps us look out to others, not in order to impress them, but in order to serve them, to love them, to be generous with them unselfishly. Isaiah 58 describes a kind of fast that God commended for Israel where they would go without food in order to share food with the poor and hungry among them. So it's a good thing to, to use a time of fasting as an opportunity to show generosity and love, to motivate us to do that. And John Stott adds, <coughs> excuse me, the purpose of fasting is not to advertise ourselves, but to discipline ourselves, not to gain a reputation for ourselves, but to express our humility before God and our concern for others in need. If these purposes are fulfilled, it will be reward enough. So, I mean, that's quite a list, right? Fasting helps us grow in prayer, in Christ-likeness, in humility, in repentance, in self-control, and in selfless generosity and love. That may or may not sound amazing to you, but if you are a true Christian, these are some tantalizing rewards. We, we're desperate for these things. And that's not all. I haven't gotten to the most important reward of all. See, fasting intensifies our hunger and affection for Jesus. So biblically speaking, fasting is actually a way to express our love and worship to God. As we deprive ourselves of immediate gratification of our appetites, we point ourselves to the greater need for hungering after God. Like it said in Deuteronomy 8, and Jesus quoted it, Man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. And fasting helps us understand and know and feel this truth firsthand. As once Jesus said that I have food that you know nothing about. That's what this is talking about. John Piper says, what Jesus is doing with these words in Matthew 6 is testing our hearts to see if God himself is our treasure. Are we content in God when no one but God knows what we have done, what we ought to have done? That we have done what we ought to have done. All that matters is God and who he is and what he thinks and what he will do. This is what Jesus is calling us to, a radically God-oriented living and praying and fasting. Fasting is the physical exclamation point at the end of the sentence, this much, O oh God, I long for you. I also love David Mathis puts it well. It says, more important than God's earthly guidance and protection and deliverance and provision, those things that we pray for, is our eternal reception of and rejoicing in him. God made us eaters and drinkers to teach us about himself. He made our world edible and drinkable so that we might better taste his goodness when our mouths are full and rehearse that he is better than food and drink when our stomachs are empty. Christian fasting is not mainly about what we go without, but who we want more of. 
So the question really boils down to, how badly do we want God? If you're wanting to implement fasting into your life, wondering how to start, Mathis has some great advice. He says to start small. Yes, we want this to become a a regular habit, a spiritual discipline for us, but the best way to build into a habit is to start small, to take baby steps. Perhaps fasting for one meal a week or one meal a month, a particular meal for several weeks or months and growing from there. Start small. Next, we need to, to plan what we will do instead of eating. Okay? Otherwise, it's going to be pointless. What are we going to do? What, what positive pursuit will we undertake when we normally would have been eating? And we spend a lot of time preparing food and chewing and swallowing and cleaning up after it. What are you going to do with that? It shouldn't just give us extra time to do more work. It should help us pray or read or meditate on scripture or something like that. So make a plan. Connect it to your purpose for fasting. Without a a purpose, it's not really fasting at all. It's, It's just starving yourself. Other pieces of advice would include to consider how fasting might affect the people around you. So to make sure you're loving other people in spite of your hunger. Or don't force on like don't starve your kids. <laughs> to try various different kinds of fasting, including fasting with other people. And finally, to use your hunger to keep directing your mind to Jesus. Because he's the point. If you want to go deeper and study this topic more, John Piper has written an excellent book called A Hunger for God. A Hunger for God, which, by the way, he gives away for... So you can get that even today if you want. Good resource. I love food, but not like I love Jesus. And I want to show that love to him any way that I can. Eating and and drinking are such a a huge part of our lives, mundane though they may be. But but they're full of meaning if we can harness our appetites for God's glory. It's no coincidence that in 1 Corinthians 10.31, out of all the activities that Paul could have mentioned, he says, whether you eat or drink, or I'd add or not, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, Do it all to the glory of God. I believe that these are desperate times in our world. They're desperate times in our lives. Do you agree? And desperate times call for... David Mathis concludes this well. He says, fasting is an exceptional measure designed to channel and express our desire for God and our holy discontent in a fallen world. It is for those not satisfied with the status quo, for those who want more of God's grace. Fasting, like the gospel, isn't for the self-sufficient and those who feel they have it all together. It's for the poor in spirit. It's for those who mourn, for the meek, for those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. It is a desperate measure for desperate times 
among those who know themselves desperate for God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, pray that you would truly and deeply make us desperate for you. That our souls would long for you as in a dry and weary land. Help us to want you so desperately and love you so much more than anything else, any good gift that you've given to us. And help us pursue you with our whole hearts. In the power of your spirit, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.